You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Hi, I'm JR. Hello, I'm Lee. I'm Mark. And I'm Simon. And at the end of that episode, and I was trying to tell you this just before we started recording, but you didn't get what I was talking about, so I'm going to do it now. The Doctor says, see you next Wednesday. Or Clara says that to him, right? Mm. Right, in the film An American Werewolf in London, at the end of the film, there's a great big sequence set in a cinema. It's a porn cinema. (laughs) And the name of the film they're watching is See you next Wednesday, which was John Landis's, <laughs> which was John Landis's little play on words on the phrase "See you next Tuesday." Next Doctor Who, double X. Okay, I'm or he's going to be a werewolf. It's lost on me. <laughs> okay, you must have seen an American Wealth in London. Um, at some point. What? Watch it again, eighty times. Okay, Simon, tell us, well, let's jump right in this week, because every week so far we've been blathering around, talking about nothing for the first 20 minutes. Simon, what did you think of Nightmare in Silver? I really liked it. I really liked it. Oh. Flawed, but I really liked it. Okay, fair enough. That's <laughs> <laughs> what did you like about it? I liked a lot of things they'd done with the Cybermen. Uh, I do feel that they were, they'd become a threat, which they haven't been. I love the design of the new suits. Um, I liked a lot of the comedy. I liked the battle in the Doctor's brain. A lot of, the, lot of things that were there. there was, um, I hated the kids with a passion. <laughs> they weren't in it all that much, to be fair. Mm, too much. Um, because... <sighs> I don't know. It's just like, you know, that comedy, My Family, where there's characters who are just there to be sarcastic all the time and it's just tiring. And not all kids are like that. And what kids goes on a time machine and then gets, is, is negative about it, is sarcastic. And I know it's there for kind of comedy value or something like that, but I just didn't think it worked. But um, the rest of it, I really I liked. Talking about the Clara and the Doctor for a minute when you said they're just there to be sarcastic. All oh, right. <laughs> Gone and Lee, what was your immediate thoughts? Um, same as Simon, in a way. I'm probably a little bit more down on certain aspects of it. The opening sequence, I couldn't stand. So when when the credits were rolling, I just thought, oh no. Though I can't quite put my finger on it. I think it was the kids. The, the actors are okay, but there's no reason for them being in this episode anyway. So right at the beginning, I thought, they're just there because they're kids and extra peril. I don't know. Um... And I didn't like the uh, the character who was the runner of the fun fair. He was no Jago, was he? But there was, I don't know. And then it kicked off and I thought, okay, all right. Doctor's Mind sequences, a little bit cheesy. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant for a comic. This is this whole thing would make a fantastic comic. This is an ill game, isn't it? Um, but the Cybermen weren't a threat. And, the, you know, they were a threat for about a second when they're walking towards Clara, but for the rest of it, I felt like they were 
really in the background and they weren't threatening powerful in any shape or form Go apart, on, from, then. apart from maybe just the, I mean they didn't I was expecting them to run oh I thought they had presence <laughs> they, they didn't, didn't run. do any running did they <laughs> in fact the only sequence where the Cyberman was inverted commas running is like a weird slow-mo sequence mm, where yeah. it, you know when you look at it carefully he's not even running he's just walking across Very that room slowly. yeah and they've just sped the Cyberman up and slowed everybody else down and it it looked awful, didn't it? I thought that sequence looked awful. I'll, I'll just say then, one word, a bit, <laughs> three words, a bit confused. Yeah, maybe. Mark! Yeah, it was a bit of a mess. Um, some bits I liked. I really liked the design of the new Cybermen. I thought they looked very cool. Agreed. Um, I thought it was a wasted opportunity, really. You got this chance to do a reset on the Cybermen, bring them back to what they were originally, and they just go back to being generic robots again. You've they, got you've got a bit of the sort of trying to convert people in as much as you've got the kids with a couple of little flashing lights on their heads, but they effectively go back to being generic robots again. And the 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 weird crap they've got on their faces, not quite the same as the cyber conversion units in Attack of the Cybermen or whatever, is it? What you mean the Borg stuff that he's gone? Yeah, so, exactly. Borg yeah. stuff. Is... Yeah. I mean, I don't know whether that was a nod back to the fact that the Borg pretty much nicked the idea of the Cybermen in the first place, and they just thought, "Oh, let's do a Borg on the Borg," and kind of. But it was a bit Star Trekky in places. It the was, mind sequence yeah. was very Star Trekky. I like the little name checks of the moon base at the start. That was quite fun. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, then nightmare fair. This week, yeah, I was just going to say, this week <laughs> we should have had a reference and an homage to the Sixth Doctor. And yet, well, now, it's a bit Nightmare Fair in that it takes place in a fairground. Yeah. It's a bit Attack of the Cybermen in that yeah. you've got the Cybermen's tombs. And it's also a little bit Vengeance on Varos in that it takes place in that dark area in between entertainment and torture, effectively. In Where a was way. the torture aspect? Oh, well, the conversion into a Cyberman. Oh, okay, right. I'm just saying it's a great sort of... A, but to be honest, it wasn't that specific. All the other stories, even the Rings of Akaten, I could point to Rings of Akaten and point at specific things in there that were the same as in the web planet. For instance, you know, the uh, jack-o'-lantern was basically the same <laughs> as the animus in the web planet. Mm. But in this, I couldn't point at anything and say it was that specific. I mean, Hyde was very definitely the same as Day of the Daleks. You know, haunted house, haunted by somebody from the future. What was the story of Nightmare Fair? I can't really remember uh, reading it. Well, it's Celestial Toymaker. Yeah, but what was the story? That's about it, really. This was six Doctor <laughs> time. <laughs> Celestial Toymaker rides again. They have done it yeah. as a big finish, but I haven't listened to it. No, not yet. No. You're probably right. He probably said to him, can you try and incorporate something from, you know, if this was mm -hmm. what Stephen Moffat was saying to the authors, he perhaps said, can you incorporate something from a Sixth Doctor story? And Neil Gaiman probably said, Oh, oh, Nightmare Fair. Well, the, the landscape that Neil Gaiman's painted, the, the universe, the Emperor, um, you know, Before the, 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 on, the punishing just... guards and everything, I think it's, all, it's a nice backdrop. It's, an, you know, it's a good landscape. Well, yeah, but, uh, okay, I'll come back to that. But before we move on, all the other stories have also included a reference in the dialogue, like the Gobby Australian and the Hads. <clears throat> And grandfather and granddaughter and so on and so forth. Anybody get anything from the six? Well, doctor? the moon base. 
No, that's uh, Second Doctor, isn't it? Yeah. Sorry, I thought you meant to say There was a picture of Colin Baker at one point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. There's pictures of all the Doctors. (laughs) Nice. I don't think I saw one. No, possibly not. No. I will have to look out there. Maybe we've missed something. Well, I've watched it twice now, and I didn't catch it either time. (laughs) I'm just... I did wonder, I think it was last week or the week before, if that wasn't perhaps going to continue across all seven episodes. Because I can't imagine next week's episode being a seventh Doctor homage. Although I suppose it could be to a certain degree with possibly it could echo things from Curse of Fenric or something maybe. As a top hat, they're wearing top hats. Did that in the psychic fair. And somebody might say something. Okay, so you're talking about the backdrop. Um, yeah. It, it was... The, the, the special effects shot was nice. Mm. Everything else was, like, lit, like... Oh. Something out of a... No, I don't mean physical background. Russell. I'm talking about, kind of, you know, the story background. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. But the, I'm the, talking the lighting, about, I agree with you, was oh, dire. The purple and the green and the Do you the know what? I was in a... It looked shocking, didn't it? Before, but I've seen lighting like that in student films. Where they excess green, lots of red, and you think, no, you, you don't. You're trying to prove a point. You don't need well, that's to. How, I know it's supposed to be a fun fair, and that's how they it's did lit in a weird way. But. You know, Russell T. Davis's. It was lit like the Doctor's daughter, which I and Sontaran stratagem and lots of other stories from that yeah, period yeah. had that kind of light. It didn't like that, and lighting. it looked awful then, and it looked so out of place. Yeah, maybe it's a you know maybe the homage in that period. <laughs> Well. <laughs> what do we think of the cyber mites then? Loved them. Mm. <clears throat> Great idea. Really Concept good inclusion. Like little evil white bait. <laughs> or silverfish. Yes, yeah. yeah, silverfish. Oh, yeah, yeah. very good. Has that been said already on the net? Did you just No. Of course I, not. I want. I just for once, I had an original idea. <laughs> <laughs> it um. was very much a mixed bag, though, wasn't it? Mm. It was. There were, Go on, Simon. Well, no, there were lots of nice bits, and that's what held my attention. I don't know whether, in complete opposite to Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS, I could, I watched that and knew that it would get better with a second watching, but I don't know whether that will. But I thought there's lots of things like the head rotating and and the, and the silverfish and the hand the dropping cybermates. off. The hand dropping off was rubbish, wasn't it? Yeah, it was <laughs> the Adams family, wasn't it? <laughs> It didn't work. It was a bit like the scene in um, Pandorica Opens yeah. mm-hmm. with the Cyberman's head, except that worked really well. It, it did work really well. Yeah. In this, it was just hand drops off. It just plopped off, didn't it? The face. <laughs> and it, so we get... I was so again, bit, ideas, 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 was, yeah. but... I don't know if they were executed. Execution, yeah. yeah. Mm. I was about to say, what... What was what was the point of the hand? Is it like if they touch you now, they can just send signals into you and convert you at the drop of a touch? Or I was I, just, I was a bit confused about what I they're just think Borg. I think I think it's they're, the silverfish. If mm. the hand touches you, the silverfish come, come out, out of the arm and Jump start crawling all over start, you. I guess and start converting you with. Cause it didn't take too long for those two people who died to suddenly get back. back up again, did it? Yeah, our friends. No, well, I think about how quickly the things disappeared off their faces and back on again. Yeah. Just a quick note that our friends were in this. They were Julian Seeger and Georgina Erford. Yeah, and they were had a lot of screen time. 
they were definitely the best thing in it. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I don't know. I, so do we think the problem is the direction then? Because um, yes, he's a first-time director on Doctor Who. I would say definitely. I They're, would question that. I think the really? execution is bad, but I think the script is not what it could be either. There's do you think quite... it was doctored? Do you think it was edited heavily? I don't know what happened, to be There's, honest. You know. I mean, Neil Gaiman's always got lots of weird threads and ideas, and he throws well, the them in a big pot. If you... And they normally work. Okay, there's two things going on here, or three perhaps. One, Neil Gaiman's a very busy man, so presumably at some point he will have to say, I can't do any more drafts, and then either you go with the draft that he's written, or you rewrite. Now, I'm, I would say probably with The Doctor's Wife, it got to that point, and then maybe Stephen Moffat wrote another draft, and that's what ended up on screen, because Doctor's Wife felt like a hybrid between the two writers, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I've seen that game say that he, their lot was cut out, particularly of the start of Doctor's Wife. <clears throat> oh, really? Yeah, they were mm. going to go to another planet before. Well, it's in the brilliant book, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. But, the, yeah, yeah. but the kind of point is, Neil Gaiman's not used to writing for television, right? So okay. if he writes, like, three drafts, say, picking a number at random, and it's not ready for television... And then Stephen Moffat makes it ready for television. Then you get a nice hybrid between the two authors. And you also get a nice hybrid between Neil Gaiman's ideas and Stephen Moffat's execution. Did he do the screenplay play for Neverwhere? I don't know if he did. He may have Neil done Gaiman. it. That was yeah. a long time ago, though. I that was remember. 20 years ago, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. But the point is here, it felt like you had Neil Gaiman's script with all these ideas, but nobody had got it ready for television. So mm. when the director comes mm. on board... He just doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah, there were connections that didn't seem to quite make it to explain the previous scenes. I, I can't remember them exactly now, but there were moments where I thought, well. hang on a minute, how did that Cyberman become, you know, turn... Actually, where did where were they coming from? Did, was it explained? But Are the tombs on the planets already? Um, underground on the planet because they were using it as a kind of Cyberman sickbay, and then they started using the children who were coming to the fun fair as spare parts. And then they realised that the children made good Cybermen. So why was the, the so the funfair was built by the Cybermen? No, no, no. The funfair was built on the planet, and then Cybermen came in secret and built tombs underneath it, and started using the people from the funfair as spare parts to augment their damaged units, mm. or something along those lines. Flashback would have been useful. Pardon? <laughs> Flashback would have been useful. Yeah, with an old timey camera. That would have been great. Don't you dare, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. But you could have used CCTV. Uh, see, my other con- thing about the writing, though, was going back to what you were saying and going a little bit further. Last week, you know last week we had that big long conversation about Sonic Screwdriver. We did. <laughs> but, Didn't we just? Uh, the upshot of that was, actually, and we missed this, and I noticed it when I did a, another rewatch afterwards, is that Mark Gatiss actually had taken that on board and had that scene at the end where the Doctor gets his sonic screwdriver out and Clara says, no, I've got a chair. Ah, ah. So, uh, but this week, instead, and you know what I say about you don't use the sonic screwdriver to solve it. You know, you can use the sonic screwdriver as a tool, but as long as you get the information first and it makes sense and you could have done it another way, but the sonic screwdriver is like a televisual shortcut. Mm. And then this week, it's, you know, he's got the 
can't remember what they call it. You put it on the back of the Cyberman's head and he augments the signal and then sends it out to all the Cybermen. Yeah. You could, that's still something you could have done another way. Mm. You could have rigged up mm. a machine to send that signal out mm. to all the Cybermen. Yeah, Sign to the library where he manages to save. Yeah. yeah. But do you but, know but, what? Yeah. It wasn't overused. Point, no, but the point is, he could have done that a different way by rigging up a machine to send the signal out. And so, okay, it's still a shortcut that he uses the sonic screwdriver. But whereas in, for example, the power of three, where it's a case of just turning the machine off, and so you just use the sonic screwdriver as an off button, this week he does a lot more with the sonic screwdriver in that sequence, and it did feel too pat this week. Oh, really? I I kind of accepted it immediately without thinking about um, moaning about it, which is strange. Because watching it this second time, I knew what was going to happen next. Oh, yeah. Which is, oh, it turns out he's the Emperor, and okay, that was signalled. And so it turns out he can turn the bomb on, even though it's specified earlier in the episode that only she can. But apparently being in the, the Emperor gives him the override, which has not been signposted before that point. Hmm. And then as soon as he turns the bomb on, Apparently, that means that on a spaceship somewhere on the other side of the galaxy, <laughs> they can hear him turning the bomb on and zap him to safety in the blink of an eye. I knew that was coming immediately after the sonic screwdriver thing. And so that. <laughs> but you know what I mean? The mm. whole end of the episode there was just a little bit too pat. It was cheap. It was. A, it, um, it was strangely paced as well. What was the episode we saw recently where. The ho- what am I thinking of? Crimson Horror? No, I might actually be thinking of this, actually. The last time I saw it, where everything is just too simple at the end. No, I'll tell you what it is. Cold War. No, at yeah. the end, where, first of all, the submarine is stuck on the bottom of the ocean, but fortunately, the Ice Warrior spaceship just happens to draw it back up to the surface, and then the <laughs> Ice Warrior is about to set off the nuclear bombs to destroy the world, but Fortunately, the Ice Warrior spaceship just happens to beam him up in the nick of time. But unfortunately, the bombs are still going to go off. But fortunately, the Ice Warrior spaceship decides to turn them off just in the nick of time. Well, this week it was, oh, I can send this signal out just in the nick of time. Mm. After the cyber controller has decided he needs to shut down all three million Cybermen in order to figure out this chess problem just in the nick of time. And then... Oh, it turns out the Emperor can set the bomb off just in the nick of time mm. before his spaceship zaps itself <laughs> halfway across the galaxy mm. and zaps everybody to freedom mm. just in the nick of time. It's just... It's bad writing. On That's the plus side, the, the cyber planner was a bit cooler than the last time I'd seen him, which was when he resembled a soda stream in the uh, invasion. invasion. <laughs> yeah, that was bad. Um, I think I the preferred thing... the soda stream to watch in... <laughs> Matt Smith talking to himself yeah. in uh, wherever it was. In, it's like himself. an electronic golem, wasn't it? I mean, it's a, it's a nice kind of little um, trick that they use, a televisual trick where they flick you from side to side. So, you know, on the left-hand side with all his balkness, he's being evil, and on mm-hmm. his right-hand side, he's not. Yeah. And in fact, I thought Matt Smith was excellent in the way that he kind of roboticised himself because he's just good like that. He's really physical. And I, it's I, a brilliant performance. I thought it was fantastic, and it really helped us get the idea that he was struggling inside. I totally believe that performance. I really liked it when uh, it comes towards the end and she says to him, is it really you? 
am I really attractive? And he goes, no, you're too short and you've got a funny nose. <laughs> oh, that was a nice funny line. That, that was a was good funny. line. There were quite a few nice yeah. funny lines in it. But going back to the subject of the Doctor and the Cyber Controller inside the Doctor's Planet. head. Oh, my God. Did that we have is to see? Really, not something we wanted to see. We don't want to see the inside of the doctor's brain or head, and or e- ever anyway. And, <laughs> and not only that, I just thought that was so. Uh, yes, what you were saying, I take on board that it's who, a me? great performance that he makes it really clear who's who at all times. Yeah, but I just thought the way it was filmed and the way it was edited was just it the was editing was weird and the, the effect as well in the background. and i'm going to say even the um you know uh, the placing of of people within the screen what am i talking about the um in the headspace let's call it in the headspace mm-hmm. yeah just the placing of them it was a little bit odd it wasn't very I well i found it out. a bit weird when they purposely put the two kids in the room on their own and go, oh, don't go wandering off because something's going to happen. Oh, I've just found these insects that could very likely be completely dangerous and as they're insects, Mm. there's absolutely no chance whatsoever that they can't get in this room where I'm going to leave you while we go off and pretend to save the planet. Ah, Cheerio. Yeah, and when I've (laughs) I've only met you... in in the plot where they get separated not by choice, but it's like... Well, like, well yeah. maybe the doctor hated him as much as I did. <laughs> wow. uh, he's only known him for ten minutes, and he's leaving him well, on a couch full of weird, you know, items and strange creatures. And the other thing, of course, is in that room with them are three Cybermen. Yeah. And uh, even though you've been told these Cybermen are shut down, one thing you do not trust is somebody telling you oh, these Cybermen are shut down. Mm-hmm. It's just it's rem- that reminded me of. Um, flesh and stone. Oh, I tell you what, Amy, you're blind, <laughs> but we'll leave you here in the forest with yeah. the weeping angels. Okay, yeah, that was an odd moment as well. Yeah, it just oh, it's one of those moments where you think, you know, one more draft and just a little bit of brain power, and you can surely think up a more logical reason for having these characters split up like uh, this. Having such a great, um, you know, uh, sorry, Simon, we're peeing all over this episode. Uh, oh, no, 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 oh, no yeah, I'll come. I'll, I'll have my. Sorry. The actual fair, the backdrop of the fair, mm-hmm. was so underused. It could have, you yeah. could have had, um, you know, your scary rides. You could have, a, you know, it would have been great if some surge of electricity made the thing work and everything was coming. And then you just go around and you're picking up stuff and you're battling Cybermen with whatever you can find. You could have had a real fun, nightmare fun mm. fair thing think, going on. And I think the very. Was, sorry, go I was going to say that. I think the very early shots that emerged of the Cybermen in the castle. Yeah, and it gave me a totally wrong impression. I thought it was going to be like a historical thing, and they turn up, which would be especially when they're using a mace. Yeah, it would be awesome. Yeah, yeah it gave the impression that I don't know. The, the idea I had was that the, <laughs> these Cybermen have like crashed on this planet. Man, juice. They, they don't know. No, Cybermen crash on the planet. Don't know what they are. In the crash, they've all lost their memories, and they've set themselves up in this castle. And they just think they belong there. And they're just behaving like, you know, feudal <laughs> warlords in medieval society. Write it. Yeah, no, it's like, why didn't he? I think Terence Dix did back in the 70s, didn't he? <laughs> but, I know, but make it Cybermen because it's so much cooler. <laughs> but going back to, um, you were talking about using the backdrop of the fair. Here you go. In short order, land on a planet, find there's a Cyberman there. Find there's a platoon of soldiers there who are keeping the place protected from who knows what because the entire place has been shut down. And, oh, kids, fancy castle. <laughs> it's like, what? 
I mean, all these things, <laughs> one on top of another. Cybermen, deadly insects, the entire place has been shut down and it's deserted. Platoon of soldiers, bouncy castle. <laughs> I ask you. <laughs> and they brought back gold. That was... Oh, my God. <laughs> Do you know what? That was possibly the worst moment in the entire history of all 50 years of the show wow really i quite like that it was funny (laughs) (laughs) he had a golden ticket how stupid was that and he slapped his face with it when was the last time (laughs) you had a from did it actually come from anywhere no he just had a golden ticket when was the last time you had a golden ticket that was actually made of gold exactly but hey this is doctor (sighs) who And, oh, I know what. This is how you'll destroy the Sideman threat. I'll just slap the ticket on my face. Hey, tell you what, Could've that gold makes bar Ace running around in that factory with those Cybermen in Silver Nemesis look like talons of Wing Chiang. <laughs> <laughs> but he had an explanation, I think, as to why the gold was infecting them in the first place. He so therefore, dipped what it in he, cleaning so fluid what, before he <laughs> so stuck it on his did. face. He gave, you know, he gave a reasonably credible kind of like, you know, this is the reason why cleaning fluid and gold would upset the Cybermen. So therefore, actually, what he's just done there is made Ace doubly cool. No, because I tell you what, <laughs> if you retconning, if you. <laughs> had a like a say some kind of uh virus or something that attacks metal mm. you have to get it Do in watch. the metal rather than just Robot. on the surface it just oh it was shocking <laughs> <laughs> come on simon let's let's go back to positives shall we well yeah i mean i'm by no means defending it for the sake of defending it because i was so looking forward to this um but i got the impression because You'd watched this before, Jaya, and I got the impression that it really wasn't all it's, it, we were hoped it was going to be. Um, so I'm not defending it for the sake of it. Um, Did I lower your expectations such that you actually found it more enjoyable than you did? <laughs> I honestly believe I you, did. you did. I think you did. I think you did. And then, I, I did do was... that deliberately, by the way. <laughs> you did. <laughs> I knew you were looking forward to this episode and I knew it wasn't going to be as good as you were hoping it was going to be so I told you it was so awful it couldn't possibly be that bad and it wasn't (laughs) I I tell you what I couldn't I wouldn't recognise it as a Neil Gaiman story no there's elements in there there are elements there's There's elements and ideas this is what I mean and strands I think is the word there's always tenuous strands between lovely little nuggets Mm. What really um, does in for it, does in for it, does in for it, <laughs> is um, the fact that, unlike The Doctor's Wife, where you kind of felt that, however much of that was Neil Gaiman, it was quite natural. And then, of course, if you watch things like Coraline and Stardust and Neverwhere, that's, of course, Neil Gaiman in a 100% Neil Gaiman universe. But here... Unlike in The Doctor's Wife, where you felt he was bringing his toys to their game, Mm -hmm. you felt he was trying to play the game on the series' terms. Mm -hmm. Presumably because uh, Stephen Moffat gave him the Cybermen and said, write me a Cyberman story. Mm -hmm. And you almost feel that if you'd taken the Cybermen out of that story, he could Mm -hmm. have written a better story because it was the elements... The, the other confusing the thing, working. of course, that wasn't explained, I don't think, unless you can remind me, was the fact we had an old Cybus Industries Cyberman sitting down, and then we had new 
upgrade <laughs> with with nothing to do with cyber industries running around so they're two completely different types of cybermen one from a parallel universe and one in this universe not really doing much together <laughs> but wh- why was it there I think that's the- gonna that's a bit of a gray area though as to whether they're the parallel universe ones now i think they just use the suits mm. now and you're just but supposed why to is- accept that they're true the but why have the cyber industries one there and the new ones and what you know there wasn't enough Backstory. I know the idea behind that. It wasn't was explained the fact that why it changed in appearance years. between one scene and the next. Is what you're saying? Yeah, but it doesn't what, matter what it looked like before; it looked different before, and that's the point. Yeah, yeah. I think my conversation's as fractured as the episode. Because now. every time <laughs> after that point in the episode, you get the Cyberman stopping and going upgrade. He doesn't change in appearance again. So why did no. he change in appearance that first time? Exactly. I mean, I like the idea either, of that you either do it. Or you don't do it, but you don't do it once and then not do it every time after that. I like the idea of that, because that is like firewalls, isn't it, being upgraded and your, your Norton or whatever it is you've got hmm. at home, and that it upgrades every 24 hours. Cool. That was probably the most Borg thing in the episode. Because the they used to do that, didn't they? You'd be firing a weapon at a Borg, yes. and they would, given so many times, yeah. they would suddenly figure out Take how to it. get around it. Yeah. Actually, do you know what? I said I like that. Now I don't. Now you've just said that. <laughs> I have to say, I didn't especially <laughs> like that. I think uh, the thing about things like that is you have to have a... In order to write a coherent story, you have to have a certain set of rules. And even in Doctor Who, when those rules can change from one episode to the next, because basically you're creating a whole new, mm-hmm. new universe from one episode to the next, the rules still have to be coherent within the episode itself. And the trouble with giving the Cybermen something like an upgrade is, you know, what you're doing is you're relaxing the rules so much that they don't exist anymore. And it's fair enough that the Cybermen may be able to upgrade against certain things, but, you know, you can't upgrade against absolutely everything. Uh, and I think you, that's the point that they were trying mm, to make. My issue with the, the running that ended up not being running, um, <clears throat> the bit where they blurred and did, a, <sighs> and did the flash, basically. Don't remind me. Or Superman. I can't even remember what happened um, after that. Where did it go? I just thought, oh, is this what the Cybermen are going to do from now on? How, how the hell do you fight them now? Is this what they're going to do all the time? Then all of a sudden, they're back to they, stomping. They stopped doing it. Yeah. yeah, they started stomping again. Was there a reason so, for it blowing like that and then not blowing anymore? No, that's what was I'm it, saying. Was it a real Cyberman or were we, or were we looking at some kind no, of hologram? No, it's a real Cyberman. And the um, idea is that it's moving so fast you can barely see it. So the first time <laughs> you see it, you see it in real time and it blurs basically like the Raston Warrior just robot like, yeah. and kind of disappears. Yeah. But then the second shot, what they do is they go into slow-mo so that you can see the Cyberman yeah. doing what it would have been doing in the shop before where you couldn't see it anymore. <laughs> oh, God. It just, Too many ideas. To it's it's like just like a horribly clunky Bullet sequence. time in Matrix. Isn't yeah. it? It's like somebody misreading the brief, isn't it, really? And not really working it out. It's like giving, I don't know, God, giving Tolkien to... Um, Tarantino? Zack Snyder. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, don't know. I could see that. No, it's like giving Tolkien. <laughs> it's like giving Tolkien. I'd rather that than Peter Jackson, to be absolutely frank. I. It's more like giving, debatable. It's more like well, obviously it's debatable. <laughs> otherwise, the films wouldn't be so bloody popular. Another podcast. It's, it's a bit like giving Tolkien to somebody who's fresh out of film school and has never done anything longer than twenty minutes. No. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, this director, I can't remember his name, Stephen Wolfenden, something like that? Yeah. Mm. Um, I don't know what he's done before. 
But presumably he's got experience of doing other things before, otherwise they wouldn't bring him on to Doctor Who and give him... And you know what's happened, don't you? They've brought him on to Doctor Who, they've given him one episode, and they've said to him, you're game and script, you can't possibly go wrong. And then they've thrown this script in front of him that probably the most experienced director who's worked on the show would have struggled it's, with. I would have probably been awake for a week, sweating, cold cold panics. Well, you'd probably have been, you'd you'd have been, been storyboarding and storyboarding and storyboarding. <laughs> I'd be sweating tears from my whole body. Wouldn't you? You've, been, you've been storyboarding in your sleep, wouldn't your you? Your face off, yeah. And you well, still I think get it, it wrong. was storyboard. It's just, I think some of the ideas there are just couldn't work in television. Probably maybe could work in a graphic novel because in a graphic novel you mm. use different tricks mm. to kind of fool mm. the person reading it into believing that there's something a little bit more there than not. The, for instance, the way you use your panels. You know, there's also, you can't do a, like a small panel, big panel, insert panel on a television screen. The picture's always the same size. Hmm. You know, what I'm saying is, I'm yeah, being yeah. over literal there. Think, but what I'm saying yeah. is there are different tricks. Yeah. And you, those kind of tricks that may have worked on this in a different medium hmm. didn't work on this in you, this medium. You can storyboard from graphic novels, actually. You can do it. A few superhero films are, are doing it nowadays. It's almost like written like a graphic novel. But... It's not exactly like a graphic novel. Like you say, there are lots of tricks within graphic novels you just cannot do on the TV. And, you and I think Neil Gaiman may have been thinking, tricks. you know, visually and in the way he writes, it's quite visual. I'll tell you what, the... It just the, wasn't translated by the director. The mind battle was quite a Tom Baker thing. I can imagine that happening. John Pertwee Tom... as well. Maybe. Didn't he fight a minotaur in his head or something? No, you're some thinking of Three Doctors, are you? Where they had a fight with a... No, no, no. He's oh, no. thinking... Are you thinking of the mind of evil? Yeah, Time Monster movie. I can't remember now, but he does fight him something in his mind. And also, mind, of course, he? Kinder, where mm. that reminded me a little bit of the stuff but in Kinder, where Tegan goes You didn't goes have all the it. fancy graphics in the background that made it look like something out of Hitchhiker's Guide mm, or something like yeah, that. That's, yeah. that's It needed to be minimal if that was going to work, I think. Mm. Yeah, against a black backdrop. But mm. I guess in modern television terms, they probably thought, oh God, black backdrop. And I didn't have a problem with those scenes at all. Apart from how they looked, but oh, I my problem was the fact that they even existed. But you didn't need them in there, in the mind. You could do it. It like, could have done it all not, yeah. on, the on, table, the t- on the table, on the table, in front of the chessboard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you know, the one for a long time. Imagine strapping the doctor the into head. the uh, horror ride of death in the fairground or whatever, and he, he's, you know, tie me up, tie me up, and he, you send him off, and off he goes. And there's all these things going, all these clowns and strange things, and he's having a big argument with himself. That would be an interesting background because he's strapped down, he's in the chair, he's having an argument with himself, and it's not in his mind. Yeah. <laughs> was it just an opportunity to get head. all those different doctors' faces up? Maybe it was, that was it. Turn it into a brain in the Morbius. Episode. I don't know why they felt the need to do that. Any, there are only photos. They were, yeah. I don't, <laughs> they were the famous really ones. No, well. no, but I'm just trying to think of the thought processes that made them do it. I don't know. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying, is that what? Do you know? I made? have a real problem with anything like that when they visually put up. And this has been done loads of times in Doctor actually, and I, I've forgotten to mention it in the past. But you always have a picture of the Doctor's face. I think it was the info stamp as well. Happened right. Mm. You get a picture of the Doctor. In front of you, when and maybe he stands in front of mirrors all the time. So he. But has, when would he be looking? When would he be looking directly at himself, well, <laughs> looking yeah. like that, and it's in his mind's eye? Hey guys, I've got a theory to throw out. Do you want to hear this theory? Go on, then. <laughs> go on. <laughs> okay, back when Russell T Davis was showrunner, Stephen Moffat wrote one story a year, 
and he won the Hugo and everything else. He won all the polls and all the awards. Now, Stephen Moffat's the showrunner, and Neil Gaiman comes along, writes The Doctor's Wife, and wins bloody everything. I have a theory that Neil Gaiman handed in this script for uh, this episode, and it wasn't quite ready, and Stephen Moffat said, sod it, give it to the director now, you won't win anything this year. (laughs) 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 You cynical swine. That's almost slander, isn't it? Hey guys, I'm just kidding, (laughs) alright? You said that of those of J.R. Southall and not of Starburst magazine. (laughs) (laughs) You said that just like Zayford people brought it. Hey guys. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Don't talk to me about life. Yeah, I tell you what, Marvin would have fitted in with this world. That's what you need, it was a miserable robot all the way through it to make us laugh. That'd have been great. Uh, Do you know what, though? The funny thing is, watching it a second time, I think I enjoyed it more than the first Mm. time. Mm. Probably because the first time I was just kind of scratching my head and thinking, what the hell is this? (laughs) And at least this time I was prepared for it. I'm not saying it was awful, awful, awful by any stretch of the imagination, but we did have high hopes for this episode. Mm, we did. And patently, it's not lived up to them. So the, uh, the only positive I can take from it is that the new suits are very, very cool, and mm-hmm. given the right direction and script, they can come back and have a really cool I, yeah, episode. Yeah, the roots are there for actually for them to be used properly. The whole spare parts thing. I think, I think is where what, it needs though, to be. Flying in the face of fashion, I just don't like the new Cybermen. No? No, I just think they look a bit camp, to be honest. I'm surprised, <laughs> oh, I'm surprised God, they didn't go more for like a, a Genesis-style story. I thought it would have been ripe for that if they're going to just go back to uh, basics and start mm, again. And Neil Gaiman would have been pretty good to do yeah. that, actually. But it has been written already as spare parts, and they may as well just take that. But it's never know. been on the telly, though. And, uh, no, But Rise of the Cybermen has, and that was a reinvention for the Cybermen. It was. Genesis story. But so. it was the Cybus Industries version. We could have a different version. It's not a problem. Well, yes, but we've yeah. already got the Cybermen in our universe. What do you do? But, yeah. so, the you know, CGI... Before, um, he's got a time machine, hasn't he? But the CGI... Mm-hmm. Of the army walking forward. I quite like that. Mm. They look quite powerful as an army. <laughs> but, you know, didn't they have armed guns or something in this? Couldn't yeah. they have just fired at the castle? It's a false castle anyway. Probably mm. made of papier-mâché. <laughs> they could have just, uh, just wiped them out in one... And you know, the other <laughs> thing is, when they come up to the outside of the castle, and you've already seen these silverfish, like, clambering all over yeah, everything. Yeah, thousands of silverfish. Cybermen mm. made of steel, hydraulic parts, and all this kind of stuff. You know, when they get to the castle walls, they shouldn't be knocking at the door. They should just be climbing up the walls and swarming all over the building. They didn't get a chance, though, did they? Because they, they got wet. Got a bit wet, didn't they? Is it yeah. water? Well, I was going to say, did. what was the point of walking into the moat when there's a drawbridge there? But anyway. Mm. <laughs> 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 oh. <laughs> um, there were, what about good elements then? Have we got some really nice things to say about it? But, you know, Davis. I actually probably... Warwick Davis yeah. was great. Warwick Davis. Really, yeah. really like Warwick Davis. No, I liked mm. I thought that was his best performance I've ever seen. I think I he think works better in... Since Return of the Jedi. A comedy role. <laughs> I think he's very good in Life's Too Short. Yeah, yeah. no, he is really good. Yeah. But he had, he had the thing he's playing himself. Tamsin now, well, to, I, to a degree. I, I think he would probably argue that he's not playing himself. No, you but... You see some of the stuff he does. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. I know what you mean. A version of himself. A version of himself, yeah. yeah. I think Tamsin Althwaite was badly miscast. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, she's, she I, I've lipstick. seen her in other things, and she's been good, so it's not like she can't act. But she mm. was not the right person to be playing that part. And who's the guy with the big glasses? 
It looks a bit like <laughs> Timmy Mallet. <laughs> this is supposed to be a squad who are on some kind of parole or something. I thought it was right? a bloke yeah. from the, the okay. Slammer. You ever but seen that these, kids' program, The Slammer? But oh these God. people would have to have been soldiers in the first place in order to mm. be on parole, right? Right, you well, never got any impression. Your mate that Julian would have been better up front, wouldn't he? Well, wasn't oh, that yeah. the point? Yeah, he was wasted. Who was that? Sorry, Julian. Yeah, Julian Seeger. But he had a big beard, and you wouldn't have that in a bit. An army. So yeah, I mean, I think maybe they are army gone to sea. That's the point, isn't it? So their hair is longer, and they have got beards, and they, you know, the guy with the big glasses was utterly useless anyway. But he but was it, underused because I think he's been in quite a few things. Um, he could have been used as a comedy, just going comedy back, character. Going back to Julian, he was throwing a chair. You had a theory about chairs, didn't you? Yeah, in uh, Series 7A, we started looking for sort of connections and things. So I think for a run of two or three stories, we had like religious names coming out of the Bible and things like that. But for this part, last week, uh, Jenna saved the day by throwing a chair (gasps) at a piece of equipment. Today, Julian... Throws a chair at a side, might get killed. Um, doesn't actually do anything, but so it's the it's the chair thing. Oh, chair. in the rings of Akaten, <laughs> in the oh, rings okay. of Akaten, everybody's safe while the mummy guy is sitting on the chair. Yeah. but as soon as he stands up, everybody's in trouble. This is it. It's the hey, chair. Hang on, hide. Maybe Sutex coming back because he was famously on a chair. Wasn't he, he was with mm. a little hand behind yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. It's like City was missing, but. <laughs> What about Hyde? Was there a chair in Hyde? I'll tell you who's really back next week, though. Sorry? I'll tell you who's really back next week. Do you want to know? No. No. Okay, cover your ears. We've seen the trailer already. What, in the podcast? Stephen Moffat's back next week. Of course. God for that. And Richard E. (laughs) (laughs) You saw the trailer. I saw the trailer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Hmm. Chairs. (laughs) Chairs. <laughs> well, you were about to say a chair example from Hyde. Well, they were sitting in them. That's all. Mm, that's yeah. all I can think of. Yeah. I'm trying to think. No, she had to sit in one to have the yeah. thing on her head. That's it. She couldn't the... stand up. She sat down. It's the chair conspiracy. Mm. The chair conspiracy. <laughs> in Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS, I don't think there's any chairs in that. Perhaps no. that's why they were in so much trouble throughout yeah, the whole Yeah, if episode. only they had a chair. <laughs> and I think the same could probably be said for Cold War as well. Well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's that theory bugger then. Yeah. Anyway, chairs for that. Ooh. <laughs> you haven't, you haven't asked me what I thought of Chris... Chris God, I can't even Simon, say. what did you think of... <laughs> of course you weren't here last week, were you? Exactly. No, Crimson Horror. Okay, I'll tell you what. Let's do Crimson Horror after we score this one. And okay, we'll go move on. on to the emails. Yeah. A score out of ten. Mark. Um, I think it's on par with... Bells of St. John is one of my least favourites of this run, so it's going to be a five. Ooh. That's low. Simon, you ready to give me a score on this one? Yeah, I mean, it's me looking at all the positives. I'm somewhere between a six and a seven. That's still not very high. It's still not very high, so I'll... I'll, I'll... Oh, dear. I'll I'll go up to the seven, then. Go on, Lee. Um, Six for me. Yeah, and I'm on six as well, I think. But okay. still, can I just say... Considering how much you've had to say about it, that's really quite, that's quite generous. Yeah, but that's because there, there were lots of good things in it. It just wasn't sewn together very well. Yeah. And my criteria is always that if you go down to the woods know, level of ones, twos <laughs> and threes... That as well. What's that? If you go down to the woods today. Sorry. You should have a great surprise. My criteria <laughs> to put things back on a more serious level, is that if you go down to the woods today, 
you're bound to get a big surprise. <laughs> <laughs> if you go down to the level of ones, twos, and threes, that means everybody on the entire production is doing a shoddy job. Yeah. And that yeah. never happens. No. Not no, in the new no. series by any stretch no, of the imagination. No. So I'd be very loath to go below a four or a five at the absolute minimum, and I don't think I've no. ever gone that low. This may grow on me a couple of times if I just leave my brain at the door, but I don't know. But, yeah. but we've averaged a six with a five, two sixes, mm. and a seven. And I Let's so wanted to score Coming it in, higher. We were hoping this would be a nine or a ten. Yeah, uh, so wanted to score it higher. I, I, I looked forward to Neil Gaiman's attack on, on the Cybermen as to what he was going to do with them, and I don't think that is such a bad thing. It was called The Last Cyberman, wasn't it? Originally? Originally, yeah. yeah. Which is a great title. <clears throat> yeah, but the girl who played the uh, girl, she left her script on a ta- in a taxi, didn't she? And people found out it was going to be called The Last Cyberman, so they decided to change the name. She's, she's not and... doing much to get my favour at all. She's, <laughs> she's only in one Do anyway. you remember <laughs> a few weeks ago, I was talking about a writer called Frederick Brown and the shortest short story? Yes. And um, Frederick Brown wrote a series of short stories called Nightmare in Blue, Nightmare in Red, Nightmare in Green. And I actually tweeted Neil Gaiman to ask him if Nightmare in Silver was inspired by those short stories. And he said they were. It was. There you go. So there you are. Frederick Brown. Look him up. Hold on, Joe. Right. Did you tell him his episode? (laughs) 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 Should have been Nightmare in Shit. (laughs) (laughs) Nightmare in Brown. Oh, I'm sure it's being called that on Gallifrey Brace somewhere. Oh, I haven't told you, but you know we're on two-word titles for the podcast now. Yeah. Uh, This episode's going to be called Neil's Nightmare. Oh. (laughs) What about Silverfish? No. That's one word, isn't it? Silverfish. It is, yeah. Think of the band. You only have to separate the two words and it becomes two words. Why would you want to call it Silverfish? Why not? (laughs) I like the word. Silverfish. Okay. Any Simon, news? tell yes. us about the Crimson Horror. I was in complete contrast to this. I was very pleasantly surprised by it, and I very much enjoyed it. Ooh! Um, and in fact, I think it's a grower as well. Three times that I've watched it, and each time it gets better. I think it's Ooh. home territory for. for I was Mark wondering Gatiss, whether having really Strax back would <clears throat> turn you off that story. Oh, I've become numb to it. Oh come on! You got to say you, the horse was such a funny moment. <laughs> When he horse. puts the gun to the horse, you failed your mission, horse. Oh, it's I fourth, think time fourth time yeah. this week. I think I was. I'm not, not even hungry. hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I was Comedy reaching girl. for a biscuit at that point. I think I missed that. <laughs> Indirect contrast to Strax. Diana Rigg. Diana Rigg was yeah. brilliant. Yeah, Rachel Absolutely Sterling brilliant. was mm. amazing. Sorry, Rachel Sterling was amazing. Yes. Yeah. No, the cast were brilliant in it, and uh, the design work on it was gorgeous and. It just worked. It was like classic Who. It was. But with a yeah, modern twist. I still don't want him to be showrunner. I tell you what, though. If they were to do a series of Strax, Fastra and Jenny spin-offs, Mark Gate is running that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. That'd he knows be great. exactly what he's doing with this. And that would keep him quiet, because then he'd have something in the Doctor Who universe to run. <laughs> oh, meow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I like Mark Gatiss. I just don't like his writing all that much. But this week, you know, he mm, top pleasantly notch. surprised me. Yeah. But it's like you say, he, he writes caricatures, not characters. 
Mm. And these were worked, all caricatures, and it worked. Yeah, it was it was a genre piece, wasn't it? And um, yeah, and no, actually, really it felt it. more natural because he wasn't trying so hard. Yes, mm. yeah, yeah. That's that. So actually, he found it almost seemed to me like he found the characters by not even looking for them. Mm. Yeah. Sh- oh, I tell you what, you've score for the Crimson. Score, I'll give it an eight out of ten. Mm-hmm. Sound. Wow. Shall we? Um, <laughs> Shall we um, look at some emails? Then? Yeah, let's do some emails. Uh, right. Ben in Indiana says, hello, Blue Boxers. Hello. Hello. <clears throat> He's talking to his shorts, not to us. <laughs> <laughs> he says, comment for Lee. Back in your Crimson Horror podcast, Lee talked about really hating the jaunty, old-fashioned camera effect <laughs> for the flashback sequence because the grainy film stock presentation took you out of the moment of the story, took you out of the magic. In other words, the grainy effect made you assume there was somebody on the side filming the events with an old-time camera, Mm -hmm. and in the reality of the story, there would not be anybody doing such a thing. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, Simon's got his hand up. Yeah. Well, you liked Moulin Rouge, didn't you? What, the film? Yes. It's all right. That's an amazing film, but it worked in that as well. It's the same thing, same effect. Oh, yeah, but that that was a film absolutely stuffed to the hilt full of gimmicks. And you just look at it as a gimmick film, full stop, from start to finish. So you what can't do it. Rouge? There's no way. Yeah, all the way through. I mean, they're singing at the drop of a hat. Madonna songs. Moulin yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, uh huh. It's, it's a, you know, if it's a musical, you're already at the starting gate of gimmick. Right. Okay. So with this, if so they start singing, it's out of place in Doctor Who. It's out of place. Cause oh, it's, it's Doctor Who. It's it can do anything. It's no more out of place than having Yorkshire 1893 written Which on the side I of a hate. building. And then, <laughs> yeah, but you can't say I one's out of place and the other's not. And dates made out of sausages. Right. Let's watch. <laughs> carry on with the email. <laughs> Uh, well, I submit that the anonymous documentarian who filmed that old-timey sequence was the same cameraman who both staged and photographed the crap portraits we see on Clara's computer at the end of the episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. Somebody was had David to... Adams? Sorry, he's a, a listener who's very <laughs> keen on using Photoshop. <laughs> Somebody had to get the cast from Cold War and Hyde to stand in a line and say cheese. <laughs> and it was obviously the same time-travelling journalist, textbook publisher. Yes. And as for the question of which Doctor Who title would make a good James Bond theme, I would like to vote for Inside the Spaceship, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Edge of Destruction, Mm. But only because I'd like to finally know for sure what the story's real official title is. Actually, Beyond the Sun. That sounds vaguely Bondy, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, well I about any... it was Beyond the Sun because that's what they called it in Doctor Who Weekly when they first did the episode guides when Doctor Who Weekly first started. Doctor Who Weekly, they know nothing. Is yeah, it? Is yeah. Enemy Enemy of the World too obvious? Oh no no no! Yeah, that's perfect that's example. Yeah. And it's very Bondy as well. Before and we move after on, after Quantum of Solace, Castro Valva, Silver, <laughs> <laughs> Silver Nemesis. <laughs> Before we move on, I've got to say, on the subject of David Adams, he did a cracking little mashup of the Crimson Horror and Wallace and Gromit. Oh yeah, it's yeah, absolutely yeah. stunning. I think we might have to put that on the Facebook page. I do think it, we have do to it, do it. Do yeah, it. definitely. Um, on Twitter, Mark Smith comes in, really enjoying the podcast, guys. How about the man with the golden eyeballs <laughs> in Claws of Axos <laughs> for a Doctor Who Bond theme? Or the Ice Warriors in Licensed to Chill. Oh, good stuff. Also, the Living Ghost Light 
and from Mondas with love. <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop now, he says. <laughs> no, don't stop. Keep going. They're interesting suggestions. Um, on Facebook, Rick Broadhurst came in with some more James Bond themes. Enlightenment. Mm. Mm. Underworld. Mm. State of Decay. Fall to Doomsday. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Dragonfire. I think Dragonfire actually sounds... Like, yeah. Has no one bonded. done You Only Live 11 times? <laughs> no, and no, neither no. should you have. <laughs> okay. uh, Love Thank and Monsters. Lost. The God Complex. But Rick says, I'm sorry, I can't sing. Oh, we haven't had one person singing, have we? No. Well, apart from Moulin Rouge. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, on and uh, changing the subject, Richard Hogarth. Oh, this was the email I was going to read out last week and save for this week because he asks us a question at the end, and I think perhaps we might take a moment to answer it okay. if we can. I thought I would share with you guys a really funny story. Back in 2005, I caught a BBC One trailer for a brand new show I'd never heard of before Doctor Who. The trailer opens with a blazing screen, a hero running, epic voiceover. I was entranced. Me and my mate were so excited, and about halfway through the series, series one, I found out there were previous doctors. Daleks had encountered him before. My mind was blown then. This may ask, no, my mind was blown. Then this may ask me to go to a village where there was a Doctor Who gathering. So excited, I said yes. When we got there, it was amazing. Vendors, statues of monsters. Then they announced the guests. I can't remember all of them, but I do remember when they announced Colin Baker, there was a cheer. Me and my mate looked at each other and said, who is that? (laughs) Now, it being a huge part of my life, I would love to have gone back and got an autograph with the guests and been more enthusiastic about it all. Do you guys have any stories like this? Well, that's a one-off, isn't it? To actually not know anything about Doctor Who, discover it, and then turn up at a convention and not know who one of the Doctors is. That's a brilliant story. I've got a fairly similar story. I think I've told it on the podcast. I may have, but I went to see The Ultimate Adventure with... I saw it with John Pertwee and with Colin Baker. But the John Pertwee one... And the guy I was with said, we've got to go backstage afterwards and get autographs. And I'm like, well... Because I'm a bit shy, didn't wouldn't really know what to say to the actor, and with no interest whatsoever in collecting autographs, what would I do with the autograph? But anyway, he wanted to go, so I went with him, went back, met John Pertwee, said, Hi. And John Pertwee said, Hi. And got his autograph, and because I don't collect autographs, I promptly came home and gave it away. Wow. Oh, no. <laughs> there was a... I should have a convention up in Manchester uh, about 12, 13, 14 years ago and um, the brig was there and uh, he was sitting in his chair having a whiskey and it was just in the bar area. He'd done his talk and people just tend to wander up to the stars at that point in the mid-90s and just chat. I was a bit shy and I thought, well, I really want to talk to him but I feel a bit fanboyish, so it's kind of, you get that weird moment of, shall I step over the threshold and say hello? And then what happens then? You know, will he just say, um, yeah, not at the moment, mate, and you'll feel like an idiot? Or will he start talking and you, well, what do I say next? 
And I wasn't a journalist at that point, haha. Uh-huh. So I didn't really have questions in my head. <laughs> so what did I do? I just thought, well, I'll I'll try and impress him by reading a book near to him and just kind of <laughs> s- slowly put the book down and, and kind of say something about the book to break the ice. So I kind of looked at him and smiled, and I just kind of stepped around the table a bit, and he was like looking at me, smiling. And I went to grab a book out, one of these book, you know, all these old Reader's Digest, and I don't know what the, the old book, the old Victorian. Oh, I can see. This is going. You can go. And I went to grab the book and to pull it out, but they were all false and glued in. (laughs) To which he just suddenly burst out laughing. And I said, I I think I'll just go and buy a magazine and then wander off in the other direction. I could hear him laughing as I walked away. (laughs) To be fair, we all do that. (laughs) Feeling like a tit is not the. uh, It was beyond that. Simon? No. Mark, anything? Not really, no. No? You ain't got a story? No, I've got no stories. What are you talking about? No stories. Well, let's try You're talking about Willis? Uh, you know, I've kind of sprung this on you. If anybody thinks of anything, we can perhaps bring it up next week. And if yeah. anybody listening wants to email in with an embarrassing so- story of a similar nature, please no, do. A few more. <laughs> um, but one more email, and it's quite a long one, so let's whistle through it. From Doc Whom. Hello, Steve. Oh, no, 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 no. Let's forget this one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Hi, Steve. <laughs> I'll call it a night, then. What? Oh, God, I'll read the bloody email. Go on, then. <laughs> Lee is absolutely right about the sonic screwdriver. Yay! Personally, I couldn't give a toss if it's used as a solve-everything tool for the plot. Do you know what? In... Actually, you could just stop there. Why don't we just end the episode now? Because that's enough right. for me. Yeah. Right, I'll see you then. <laughs> um... <laughs> Personally, I couldn't give a toss if it's used as a solve-everything tool for the plot, though curing the Doctor's crimson sickness was a bit silly. Uh, No, it wasn't the sonic screwdriver that cured the sickness. In fact, I'm going to address this now, because online, reading about the crimson horror, a lot of people don't seem to have really grasped this part of the plot. Um, People have been saying, what were the bell jars all about? People are saying, how did the Doctor get cured of the crimson horror and all this kind of stuff? The point is this. Mrs. Gillyflower's plan was as follows. You use a diluted form of the poison to freeze people. You then put your frozen people, your chosen people, in the bell jars Mm. so that when the undiluted poison gets exploded in the atmosphere, they don't get poisoned by the undiluted stuff. They're protected from it by the bell jar. Mm -hmm. Then once the undiluted poison has done its job and settled and gone away, you take them out of the bell jars you put them in the revivification chamber where the undiluted poison that's still in them is washed away and mm. they come back to life. Mm-hmm. All the doctor did was he went in the revivification chamber and had the crimson horror washed away off him. He didn't need the sonic screwdriver. That was basically, like um, I say, just on, an on, on button. Yeah. 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 Anyway, a lot of people don't seem to... Have and the bell jars, uh, I mean, I think I answered somebody else uh, on Facebook saying, if you're going to, if you're going to have the story and it's set in Victorian times, mm. their reference point to putting things in bell jars, as it, like stuffed animals and things like that, you know, it's, it's aesthetically pleasing. It's the it's kind a, yeah, of design they would use. Yeah. And that's what these people are while they're frozen. They're stuffed animals. Yeah, essentially. This is, looks good visually as well. That look great. Yeah. Right, should we... Um, 
Okay, Doc Hume on the sonic screwdriver. No, my problem is that it gets between Matt and the audience. He never mm. has it out of his hand. Even when just walking down a corridor, he has to be sweeping it back and forth as some kind of scanning device. I'd rather see him acting walking down a scary corridor than see him walking into danger hidden behind a bleeping bloody marital aid. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's kind of missing the point, though. I think kids love the Sonic Screwdriver. Yeah. They love, you know, Tom Solo and his blaster, toys. isn't it? Yeah, no, no, totally agreed. I just think it's been used too much. That's and it's the master who had the marital aid. Compression <laughs> oh no, the master didn't have a marital aid. The master had a beard. Can I just say, I don't know, if, <laughs> if, I don't know if you said it in last week's podcast. I finding the doctor in that predicament, in you know, suffering from the crimson horror when they found him was was horrible. I thought, I thought it was one of the most horrific episodes. And it worked really well on that level. Hmm. The, you know, oh, for kids, that would have been so. Frightening. Yeah, well, yeah, hmm. <laughs> me, big kid. I just thought it was horrible, and um, yes. And, he, and even his funny walk was quite scary, wasn't it? It was horrible. The, whole, the fact he had his mouth open the whole time as well, it's just it, seeing the Doctor... Um, he didn't quite keep it up no, throughout the entire no, season, no, so which no. was a shame. But Anyway, back to Doc Hume. Let's get through this email. He says, oh, he says, but you were talking through your hat, that's code for arse, with the stuff about the sonic screwdriver being his smartphone. Yes, you do see people who have their smartphones in their hands constantly, but that doesn't make those people interesting. We want the Doctor to be interesting. <laughs> oh, oh that is, yeah, that's a very good point. Is this Doc Whom? Yeah. yeah. He's got a website, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah everybody goes to his website. He's brilliant. Oh, he is, yeah. <laughs> he says we want the Doctor to be interesting. If he was just using it to open locks and switch on machines, it would be okay, but it's never out of his bloody hands and he never stops <laughs> fiddling with it, even when there's absolutely nothing for it to do. You know, though, Matt just loves the prop. I can see that he likes to fiddle with it. Fiddling's okay. It's just using it all the time. That's just too much. <laughs> I don't want to think about Matt fiddling with it or using it either. Please do not use that out of context, anybody. Uh, he says, and this is a good point as well, because when I said this, I realised afterwards it was not quite what I meant. He says, and you're wrong about the sonic screwdriver being Matt's scarf. Matt's scarf is his bow tie. That indeed. Yes. Agreed. I didn't quite mean that though. But what I meant was, it's like each actor who comes into the part will find certain ways of doing it, of doing the part. And one of the things that William Hartnell did, for example, he often had his hands up to his face, and he would be, you know, his fingers would be playing with his face. John Pert, where he had the whole thing, and you know, it's kind of the same thing. It's kind of not, but it's in the same area. John Pert, where he would always be stroking the back of his head. Mm. I mean, if you've Peter Davison had his panting acting, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying. Though? These are certain yeah. things that the actor brings into the role because it's quite difficult to play an alien, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. And it's also quite difficult to do a job where you're working in the same part for nine months of the year, for you know year after year after year. Because most actors don't do that. So, I mean, David Tennant was a perfect example of this. You kind of have certain ticks that you bring into it and you perhaps don't even realise when you start doing them but they become a bit of a crutch for you in the role and for Matt Smith very evidently getting the sonic screwdriver out and just playing with it is kind of his crutch in the role it's a bit like David Tennant with his um, not saying his S's properly you know doing his Sean Connery he didn't do that at the start but by the end he couldn't say a single word without going shh mm. mm. which became rather annoying 
Shoshari. Uh, Lee hit the nail on the head about Crimson Horror when Lee he said... Lee is loving this. He's sitting there with mm. a big smile on his face. He's loving it. <laughs> you can see why I didn't want to <laughs> Lee hit the nail on the head about Crimson Horror when he said that he enjoyed even the hokey bits because they were done with style. And this is a very pertinent point. Do it with style, verve and elan, and I'm not that fussed about plot holes or even about Clara's damned accent. Mm -hmm. Perhaps the best thing about Crimson Horror was its pace. It drove the story on, never too quickly and never too slowly, telling the time for Trumpton, carrying <laughs> you and your suspension of disbelief along by its sheer style. And that's very true, actually. Mm -hmm. You notice them on the forums all the time. If they like an episode, they don't... Yeah, you know, you they don't, don't moan it. about the plot holes that they'll moan about non-stop in an episode they didn't like. Um, Doc Hume says, it's the best thing since dinosaurs. On a spaceship, I mean, not invasion of the... And for me, <laughs> possibly even the best thing since the Big Bang. Well, so, there you are. There you go. Thank there you, really Mr. Are two camps with, um, without going on to camp again. Two camps as far as uh, dinosaurs as a spaceship. Isn't it? I was talking to somebody uh, at the weekend who absolutely detests the, mm. that episode. I think yeah. it's pretty much the way yeah. with all episodes nowadays. I don't know what there is to detest about it. That's what I find so strange. But hey, some each people their like own. their Doctor Who to be really grown up and take itself very seriously. Mm. Mm. But you're in the happy dinosaur camp, aren't you? Yeah. You're in the happy dinosaur camp. I am. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sweet Lord. <laughs> just just briefly going back um, to the Cyberman episode. Is there going to be the curse of episodes with the word silver in them then? Is it going to be silver nemesis, nightmare and silver? Mm, maybe. Mm. <laughs> Don't forget, though, the curse of episodes with the word time in the title mm. started off with a time meddler and mm. also... Not too far into the run of episodes with the word time in the title, they have the time warrior. It was yeah. only later that putting the word time in the title mm. became a thing. Mm. So, are we at a, a new who with time in the title? End of time. Well, yeah, they are then. Oh, what was the um, time crash? Yeah. yeah. Does yeah, that, give you that count? Yeah, I suppose it does. That was actually ah, quite good. That was an absolute <laughs> gem. <laughs> Sorry, you didn't like it. No, I said it doesn't count. Oh, it doesn't as count. As an episode. That's in my head. Not canon. <laughs> it's a minisode. <laughs> the TARDISode. I can't believe I've said that word on it. was it. better than the Titanic episode afterwards. I don't like the Titanic episode. Yeah. No, I really enjoyed that. Before we go, I just want to say Clara looked lovely in tonight's episode. Oh, and before we go, I oh. just want to say hello to my mother. <laughs> actually, we did miss. Can I? We didn't say anything about Clara. Hello, Mummy. I, I would like to bring Clara up. Actually, Blech. no, not like that. Um, she made more convincing soldier than Martha, and she is a lot slighter, smaller, and with a funny, lovely little nose. I thought that her, um, you know, when she turned Possibly. around and her, yeah, she basically she could stand her ground and really listen to her, and she was very convincing. She spoke with more authority. Absolutely, yeah, definitely, yeah. And she looked fantastic. I saw um, Freem Rajaman in that new Bernard Cribbins kids program on CBeebies the other day. What? Same she was character. In was she in Same character. <laughs> Who? What? Freem Rajaman is oh. in the new... Bernard Cribbins has got a new kids program. I can't remember what it's called. Somebody's Boat or something. Rusty Davis has written a couple of those. Has he? I believe so, yeah. It's very well made. It's lovely. And then the Freem Rajaman's in there every now and again, a few seconds, and yeah, it's... 
Martha again. Like a little Doctor Who thing. Yes. I may have to seek it out. But before I do, Mark Gatiss, make the adventures of Jenny, Vastra and Strax. Mm-hmm. And people are calling them a group. There's a, there's a group name for them. Oh, the, Pastano- the Paternoster Gang. Sorry, I'm, be- I'm being an idiot. What does that mean? Oh, they're on Paternoster Street is where oh. the office is, I think. Got it. I suggest that they should be called Menagerie à toi. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a it's kind of a bestial porn film, doesn't it? Well, it's lesbian lizard, <laughs> lesbian woman, and non-lesbian a potato. potato. <laughs> Asexual. If that's not, not a menagerie à I don't know what is. <laughs> Fleshy boy! <laughs> and, and on that bombshell... And Sontarini doesn't know what the hell's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> You can imagine, if they did the post-nine o'clock version, <laughs> you could have Strax walking into the bedroom while the other two were, you what? know, playing. Fluffing up the pillows. <clears throat> what are you doing with that fleshy boy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, if someone's going to have to do YouTube. <laughs> Our podcast always gets to this if we go on too long. Yeah. Time to knock it on the head. Very much so. Yeah, okay. Is there nothing else? No. Okay. Uh, I was JL. I was Lee. I was Mark. I was Simon. And we'll speak again soon. My problem is that it gets between Matt and the audience. He never has it out of his hand. Even when just walking down a corridor, he has to be sweeping it back and forth as some kind of scanning device. If he was just using it to open locks and switch on machines, it would be okay, but it's never out of his bloody hands and he never stops fiddling with it, even when there's absolutely nothing for it to do. It's like each actor who comes into the part will find certain ways of doing it, of doing the part. And one of the things that William Hartnell did, for example, he often had his hands up to his face and he would be, you know, his fingers would be playing with his face. John Pert, where he had the whole thing. And, you know, it's kind of the same thing. It's kind of not, but it's in the same area. John Pert, where he would always be stroking the back of his head. Peter Davison had his panting acting. I can see that he likes to fiddle with it. Fiddling's okay. It's just using it all the time. That's just too much. <laughs> I don't want to think about that fiddling with it or using it either. Please do not use that out of context, anybody. Fleshy boy. Fleshy boy. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs>